0: It was fun while it lasted. We'll always have the pixelated dick pics on the lightning art site, the lightning torch meme where everyone was scared to send it to people in countries the state told us is full of nothing but bad people. We'll still have the zapping sats from custodial account to custodial account. Into the era of walled gardens we go. If you took any of that seriously on any level, go look at yourself in the mirror and then give yourself a good hard slap in the face the best in bitcoin made audible i am guy swan and this is bitcoin audible what is up guys welcome back to Bitcoin Audible, I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And I want to start out today. We're doing another read um, and we have a Guy's Take coming next week that I am really excited about. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Do not forget to subscribe. Uh, but a shout out to Michael for this article because he posted it in the audio notes, I believe is where I first saw this. And this one just cracked me up. Shinobi has a way with words sometimes. And this one is about the failings of lightning and how nobody had any idea that there were trade-offs or incentives or time lock exploitations and that this is all brand new news that no one has ever heard about it. And so it's important that we detail all of this out or something like that. I will let Shinobi do the talking uh, before we get into the guy's take after this piece. But I also want to give a shout out to Clarkian who dropped a 10,000 sat boost on fountain thank you sir it is very much appreciated and i will make sure every last sat counts i've been increasingly impressed with fountain and i i was i was really shocked the other day to find out i may have actually said this on the show i thought i said it right in the audio notes but if i said this on the podcast and you heard it ignore it and pretend i didn't say it um but i was surprised that fountain actually has a larger listener base than spotify like spotify was like 10 point 5% of uh the people who listen to the show and Fountain was like 11%. I like it was it was really close, but it was like wow, that's that's kind of, that's actually pretty impressive. And I felt like I didn't give you guys enough attention. So I'm going to try to make a better habit of uh actually engaging over there on Fountain since I don't really have that option on Spotify and Apple Spod- podcast. They're just kind of like in the void, you know. I, I don't really know any I can't talk with anybody over there. It's just Twitter and Noster, basically. But anyway, just wanted to mention that, and a, a shout out to Clarkian for the the massive boost. King booster for the week. Alright, with that, let's thank our sponsors really quick and then we will jump right into the show. Coinkite and the makers of the cold card hardware wallet, the open dime, the block clock, the block clock mini, the uh, the uh, uh, the tap signer. Literally so many amazing Bitcoin. Um, a hardware solutions security and also just like cool stuff the, the sats, cards, and the block clock like it just, they've been around for an incredibly long time and they've always just made awesome products for Bitcoin, both to keep your Bitcoin safe and also just to, just because they're cool Bitcoin products. Check them out explore what they have to offer and don't forget you can get 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible, link and details will be right in the show notes. With that let's get into today's read. And it's titled, Lightning is Doomed. A reality check on the limitations of the Lightning Network and what that means in terms of its long-term viability. No, it's not doomed, but it probably won't be used the way you expected it to be. Written by Shinobi Lightning is Doomed High fees from ordinals have killed all hope of scaling Bitcoin non-custodially. There is no chance at all that people will be able to cost-effectively open channels or enforce hung payments on-chain when necessary. It's all over. Pack it all up, guys. Time to start shopping around and deciding whether Coinbase or Cash App is a better platform for all our Bitcoin needs, now that we can't afford to do it directly on-chain in a high-fee environment. It was fun while it lasted, We'll always have the pixelated dick pics on the lightning art site, the lightning torch meme where everyone was scared to send it to people in countries that the state told us is full of nothing but bad people. We'll still have the zapping sats from custodial account to custodial account. Into the era of walled gardens we go. If you took any of that seriously, on any level, go look at yourself in the mirror and then give yourself a good, hard slap in the face. Clearing the Gaslighting Fumes The original Lightning Network white paper specifically defined in the conclusion to the paper that for 7 billion people to be able to open two channels per year, Bitcoin would require 133 megabyte blocks. There is an entire section of the white paper called Risks, Section 9, that spells out all of the major problems people think means Lightning is doomed because of high fees. The first section of the paper discusses time lock windows. Quote, improper time locks. This is essentially the dynamic of fee rates versus confirmation time that has become a large concern lately. When you route a payment over the network, you define a success path based on a hash lock pre image and a clawback path based on the refund time lock window. If fees get higher, that time-lock window needs to be longer to guarantee that a pre-image spend doesn't fail to confirm before a refund transaction becomes spendable. In other words, if you have to confirm a successful payment on-chain, the time-lock on the refund path has to be long enough that you can confirm the successful payment path before your channel counterparty can claim the funds through the refund path. How long that time-lock window has to be increases the higher fee rates get, because the transaction fee decided ahead of time for pre-signed channel closure transactions can be too low to confirm as fast as you expected when you signed them. Many people are freaking out and losing their shit over this dynamic as if it is some new realization and it spells the doom of the Lightning Network. This was literally described as a risk in the original white paper specifying the first version of the Lightning Protocol. It explicitly even described the opportunity cost trade-off from an economic point of view. Quote, There is a trade-off between longer time locks and the time value of money. The next section is called Forced Expiration Spam. It describes the general concept of the flood and loot attack. An adversary opening a large number of channels and then closing them all at once on-chain, specifically to take advantage of the fact that if fee rates got too high, refund transactions could have a chance at double-spending success path transactions, if something needed to be enforced on-chain. If you have a bunch of channels open with payments in mid-flight, and you lose them all at once and drive fees up high enough, then every channel counterparty who has to confirm a successful payment on-chain, could find themselves in a double-spend race if the fees are driven up high enough to let the time-lock transaction become valid before the successful one with the pre-image is confirmed. If you have enough channels open and drive fees up high enough, you can profit from this. It was literally described in the white paper as an architectural concern. Depending on which version of the paper you count, this class of attack was described in 2015 and 2016. It wasn't formally modeled and introduced into the news cycle of this space until 2020. The white paper described data loss, the situation of losing the pre-signed closure transactions and penalty keys for old states that would allow a malicious channel party to steal your funds if they were aware of this. It brought up the situation of being incapable of broadcasting a penalty transaction and the potential for watchtowers to solve this as a third party being paid to watch the blockchain and submit those transactions on your behalf. It literally described miners censoring channel penalty transactions as a risk and suggested miner anonymity and implicitly decentralization as the mitigation for that risk. But this is all new information. The Lightning Network is doomed to failure because no one saw any of these problems coming. The blockchain, you idiots. Well, I guess we can just admit historical context is lost. Reason is lost. Logic and rationality is lost. We are in a reality where we are going to pretend like historical warnings don't exist No one ever pointed out obvious problems destined to manifest in the future, and this is all just totally uncharted territory where no one ever thought about how things would play out. What is the title of Section 9.6? Oh, inability to make necessary soft forks. The original white paper explicitly spelled out the inability to coordinate soft forks as a risk to the success of the Lightning Network. Are you surprised? Have you never read any of this before? Personally, I'm getting deja vu. I remember years and years ago a large contingent of Bitcoiners screaming that the blockchain itself was hitting scaling limits, that it would fail unless we fundamentally altered the entire nature of the decentralization trade-offs of the system. Blockchains were fundamentally useless if people couldn't directly submit all of their transactions on-chain and have them cost-effectively confirmed. The entire foundation of the Bitcoin ecosystem was rocked to its core when people started arguing over the cost-effectiveness of the blockchain at scale. That was literally the entire cause of the block-size war. What was at the core of this disruption? People's expectations of what role the blockchain would play in the puzzle of Bitcoin's evolving ecosystem. Everyone is going to buy their coffee on-chain at a cost-effective fee rate or... Bitcoin is a total failure. Everyone with that mentality just completely misjudged the entire situation. They were trying to stuff a square peg into a round hole. It's the exact same thing with lightning. Square peg, round hole. The blockchain was sorely misjudged. It was really just a place to put channel openings and closings, not a place to buy your coffee. There's no real chance that people misjudged Lightning though, that is surely the place to put your coffee payments. No one could possibly have misjudged that this time. See how silly that sounds when you put it like that in the proper context? Lightning has issues with enforcing payments on-chain. If the value of the payment is less than the fee to submit the transaction on the chain, this is a problem. It makes no economic sense to try to enforce it on-chain. This was a very well-known problem. It's essentially the exact same problem of low-value payments happening directly on-chain, except in the optimistic case things just work because people cooperate off-chain. But when they don't cooperate, there are problems. This problem was so well-known that there was actually a good deal of debate years ago about a solution to it with different trade-offs. Packetized payments. If an HTLC is too small to be able to enforce trustlessly on-chain, you can stream a payment sat by sat or larger chunks of sats in a trusted manner and stop streaming and pick another route if someone in a hop decides they're going to steal a sat from you. The idea is that while it is a trusted payment routing mechanism, you can only lose a few sats to an attacker who steals a tiny piece of your payment, and if someone steals from you while routing a payment, you just never route through those nodes again. The citation above is from 2019, but this idea was discussed earlier than that. Lightning has a problem, and also a solution to that problem most people reading probably never heard about. All of these issues people seem to think means the sky is falling are issues well understood from the very beginning of lightning. This begs a question, were we wrong again? Not wrong in the sense that lightning is a doomed dead end, but wrong in the sense that lightning is not going to be used long term in the way that we thought it was initially just like the blockchain itself. We already see Lightning dominated by custodial applications, and people are working on deploying things specifically designed to sit on top of Lightning. Chalmian eCash mints, Uncle Jim setups like LNBits where people are given a custodial account on someone's Lightning node. We even have proposals like Arc being built out in the proof-of-concept phase on Liquid, which can interact atomically with Lightning payments. What if Lightning isn't going to be the killer protocol that consumers directly interact with in order to make their payments online? What if, just like the blockchain itself, it simply winds up being a piece of a settlement layer that other things are built on top of? Would that be the end of the world? Would that be a failure of Lightning? I would argue, absolutely not. From the very beginning of development on Lightning, it was incredibly clear what its scaling limitation would be. The white paper literally brings up the issue of not getting support for soft forks needed in the future as a limitation of Lightning's potential scalability. Lightning is proving definitively right now that it can function as a layer for interactivity between different custodians and that it works smoothly and very effectively for that. There is no reason at all Lightning cannot function as a similar connectivity layer for other Layer 2s that have superior trust models than an explicit custodian. If channels are not something individuals can cost-effectively have for their daily spending activity, that doesn't mean they are not cost-effective for LSPs who run new protocols in addition to Lightning to link between each other, allowing their users to interact with each other. ARCs state chains, and whatever new ideas people develop over the coming years. It can be a translator layer for other systems that scale the end user's ability to onboard and transact on those layers, exactly like we wound up realizing the blockchain would have to be. And there is nothing wrong with that. This episode is brought to you by CoinKite, the makers of the cold card hardware wallet. Of all the setups that I've done with my various hardware wallets and mobile wallets and desktop wallets, everything that I I play around with, I have not found one that is as clean and as user-friendly, like just has the great user experience as the combination that I've done with my multi-sig on Nunchuck with my tap signer and my cold card. I use my cold card as essentially the backup if I ever lose my my phone and my tap signer and then my tap signer as my on-the-go signing with the key on my phone. Now, Multisig specifically isn't for everybody, but I love the wallet and the setup because it gives me the best of I can easily go out and make some transactions if I need to. I have very good backups, and I'm not at risk if somebody like steals my phone or if I lose one of the keys. That said, one of the safest ways you can actually just separate your keys entirely from the mobile device is is to just use the cold card directly with the wallet. And you can use it with NFC, so you can just tap the device to your phone if you ever want to send a transaction and your keys will never touch the mobile device. For those of you who want to finally get your Bitcoin off of an exchange, out of IOUs from other people, and you want to know that you hold it and you and know that it is in your cold storage and your keys are safe, you can get a cold card, the Mark IV, For 9% off with my code Bitcoin Audible. And then even more importantly, if you want to finally give one of your friends or family members their sovereignty that you want them to hold their own cold storage, it is a wonderful Christmas present and gift that you can give them. Just don't forget the discount with code Bitcoin Audible. The link and details are right in the show notes. Alright, so I'm really great article from Shinobi. Um, we've been reading a lot of stuff by Shinobi. I've basically got like a little archive of the stuff that he's been publishing recently. Um, but, uh, this one I love because, uh, just because, you know, the, it's, it's pretty incredible actually that the consistent stream of, I guess, FUD or just conversation about lightning is as if any of this is new. Like, like, Almost none of it. In fact, the closest thing to a new development as, as to a vulnerability or an exploit in how the lightning architecture secures uh, the, the valid state over a revoked state in the channel is the uh, replacement, uh, replacement cycling attack, which we talked about um, extensively on this show. And I think that was actually, I think that was another Shinobi article actually that we read and then discussed but so many of these other issues that are constantly brought up as if they're new or as if this is an argument against lightning it's it's funny that it's like it's not even something that we haven't that hasn't been discussed at length in so many conversations and for so many years but that almost all of it was literally detailed right in the white paper the announcement paper for the lightning network and just in the context of scaling you know, this is something that I've talked about quite a bit on the show. Like every time we bring this topic up, it I think people get so lost in ignoring the trend and just linearly applying whatever it is that we have today out into the future and failing to recognize how iterative this entire process is, and that there's not a there's not an end date. Like everybody is looking. For something, for a unicorn, for something that literally doesn't exist, that there's going to be a singular, uniform, monetary, payments, censorship resistant, everything, total global scaling to everybody buying coffee and stickers with it system that should be ready immediately at this very moment, should scale to the entire globe, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of transactions per second, and should require absolutely no change or continued development. And it should never have any trade-offs or any, it should never break, like that's that's an absolute absurdity. And the notion that all of these altcoins or forks of Bitcoins solved this by just completely ignoring the underlying issue, the fundamental decentralization and the, the ability to verify the entire system just on its face, just doing the blanket, can you audit it? Can the the average person know that the current state is the valid state without trusting somebody else? They just threw the whole thing out the window and then just said we're going to have, you know, terabyte blocks on the blockchain. It wasn't a solution to the issue, it was just abandoning it it was just ignoring it completely and failing to recognize what val- like what the what the highest value use case of the blockchain was and how it achieved the one thing that it that it can achieve that nothing else can compare to but going back to the many many discussions that we've had about lightning and how I've talked about it probably 2 3 years ago I really kind of start started talking about this in earnest on the show is that um, where I thought lightning was going to be in the future is, uh, and I, I believe I've made this analogy, I don't know, 10, 20 times that I think it will be that people think of Bitcoin as the settlement layer. And I actually think that as this progresses, lightning is the payments layer during the transition to the second and third layers of this protocol stack of a, of the global stack that we have here. And Bitcoin will be seen it, the the further we get into this future, I believe Bitcoin will be seen as the court, is the final. You could still arguably call it a settlement layer, but I think it will be largely better understood as a as a sort of court system, as a decentralized, completely verifiable enforcement of final, uh, the final arbiter of who owns what. So maybe that's. I mean, technically, that's still a settlement. Uh, settlement layer but I think it will be thought of less about payments and more about um, conflict is who is the rightful owner when things break down when trust breaks down that is when you fall back to Bitcoin on chain I think lightning will end up being the dominant settlement network when it comes to capital allocation and liquidity networks that bridge all borders and countries and jurisdictions etc etc and specifically what Shinobi brings up is bridging between all the layer threes. That lightning is the 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 sort of internet. It's the it's the web connection between all of these additional layer threes, which is where we find this is why we've talked about this a bunch on the show. Fediment, eCash mints, uh, arc, uh, uh channel pools and all these things that like that was one of the things that I even used as an example in my own um history or my own use of lightning is what was my individual scaling multiplier for lightning payments versus Bitcoin. And it was funny because what happened is that I didn't actually change drastically the amount of Bitcoin on chain payments that I made or on chain transactions that I made. I probably dropped it from like I may have cut it in half, but I didn't like one tenth or one one hundredth the amount of bitcoin transactions i made instead what i was able to do was 50x the amount of general transactions that i made or received by using lightning as my predominant means to make payments make and receive payments and that includes from a variety of different um avenues from a uh, custodial to non-custodial uh and uh, you know mobile wallet versus my own node uh, in but my embassy, uh, wallet. You know, like I have a bunch of different Lightning instances now that are kind of interconnected, and that was honestly I haven't done the math on it in a while. It might be a lot bigger now. Nostr and the the amount of zaps that I send and or receive, dude. I might be in the twenty to thirty per day, back and forth. And then the withdrawals, man. I don't know. I, I I'm curious what my multiplier is now. Because it was about 40 to 50x, if I'm not mistaken, with the back of the napkin math that I did, um, for the number of payments that get settled over lightning versus how often I need a Bitcoin on-chain payment. But recognizing that, you, we still need an order of magnitude. Like, that is not something that's scalable to the globe. And it's, like I said, it, it didn't even make a huge... I mean, granted, you know, half the amount of on-chain payments is still a big deal... But that's not an enormous, that's not a, you know, add a billion people to the network. That's a maybe everybody does what I do and you can double. But that is an absolute far cry from everybody on the planet having, you know, non-custodial sovereign use of the Bitcoin system. And my thinking probably the first couple of times I brought this up or started discussing this idea from that perspective was less about Fediment or eCash. I mean, I don't even think that was... Really popular or like highly discussed at the time, it was far more about channel pools and potential things like arc and timeout trees, uh, which was another uh, very recent proposal. But which still requires CTV, which is funny because CTV is one of those things that, in the context of the Lightning paper and what Shinobi brought up, is that future soft forks are still necessary for the the long term scalability of Lightning as the interconnected uh, settlement and you know, payment systems between businesses and Uncle Jim's and all of this stuff. And in fact, he has another article, Shinobi has another article that just dropped on uh, Bitcoin magazine about where are all the uh, Uncle Jim's, which we will probably also cover on this show, because I think this is actually a really, really big issue that even I have, I have failed on, or I have not done enough of what I could do. And I'll have a call to action in that episode when we discuss this because I think this is one of the really important mechanisms. What We still tend to um, uh, diminish or, or fail to realize how much value there is in the kind of technical prowess of setting up our own systems and just kind of go to the most legitimate corporate, or not corporate, but like company business solution that is nearest to us, so that and just kind of lean on them. It's like, oh, well, I like this business. It's like, you know i I push Swan a lot. I push uh, a river and strike like because these are great companies that do a lot of things. But I think it's important for the people who really understand the trade offs of using a custodian or a an exchange like that to then actually be leveraged for their family and um close social circles for trust so that rather than in the case of those situations where things go wrong or things don't line up, that rather than reacting and trying to help those people sort those issues out, you can actually be the one that takes on that burden and be the uncle Jim for them and be the provider of the service for those people, those family and friends. Because that's one of the things we talked about in the bank's, Uh, banks without bankers episode and how to envision a potential future with the billions of users that we want in this protocol stack with the 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 highest amount of trust mitigation and the most local degrees of trust where trust is necessary is that we need to think very seriously and actually be proactive about implementing the uncle jim model and those of us who do know how to set these things up and you know run a web server and these things need to just privately offer this to the people in our social circles that is the beauty of bitcoin is the ability to offer a to to help other people run this instance to be your own tiny little bank for your tiny the, your closest social circle and they can trust you rather than trust some custodian that is going to be a much bigger honeypot and at much more much greater risk because they're using you know big large businesses with like you know marketing budgets and you know email lists and you know identity verification all this stuff that just makes them more of a target and inevitably we see with all of these companies no matter how secure and how honest and how much they try to protect there's just no way to it's too big of an attack surface from too many different areas And especially because of the huge regulatory burden on so many of these companies, especially in the US, like it just seems like the US regulatory system, like navigating the regulatory environment just seems like an absolute nightmare. And because of that, they just they're exposed in so many different ways that you just have to understand and know that there is a risk of this, no matter what, like when you're using a KYC service or a large company that needs licenses, you know, all of this stuff, It that that risk is simply there. That's There's no escaping it. And I think the really powerful thing about Lightning at this stage is its ability to bridge smaller and smaller service providers that can either be jurisdiction-free or can be non-public entities, just like you helping to run a payment service, an app, connecting apps For them, Ellen Bitts being a great example, and I feel like there hasn't been enough work in that area, and we'll talk about this more in depth on another episode, but just just because it's top of mind right now, I think we're leaving low-hanging fruit for how we can mitigate a lot of these problems in our own social circles on the table, or on the vine, I guess, is the analogy. But going back to just kind of the heart of this article specifically is just the idea that Lightning is doomed because it has time and mempool and you know fee-related trade-offs for the enforcement of conflict in Lightning channels. Uh, when this was, uh, this, this was the discussion and the creation of the Lightning Network, this, this was the entirety of how we thought about the Lightning Network security model. Like, I don't know if people just forgot or if it's just like really convenient for, you know, some mindless Twitter post to you beat your chest about for whatever reason. If it's just fun to pretend or if everybody just has amnesia that bad. Or maybe this is the first time they've heard about it because they just don't know anything about lightning and so a tweet comes across their thing. It's like, oh, wow, lightning is doomed. Look at this issue. It's like, yeah, in the white paper in 2015. Let me explain it to you. But whether it's just a natural information asymmetry or gaslighting, it is just kind of funny in a way to just watch people talk about all of these things that have been well-known for like these explicit trade-offs and then claiming victory, especially, especially when they treat it as like a competition, and that because they've found some sort of trade off when it comes to uh, Bitcoin or Lightning or something, is that this means by default that their shitcoin now is is winning, or or that their shitcoin is not vulnerable to this. When almost every issue is largely the cons- the the very nature of it is a limitation of blockchain. Or of a payment channel sort of network on top of it. Just the way these things work. Like I saw somebody uh, the other day claiming something about Lightning or whatnot. And then they were, they're were they like a Cardano supporter. And it's like, the thing is proof of stake. Like you're captured before you even get started. I don't know, it's a waste of time to even harp on all of that. But it's there, there's something about it that's a little bit comical and then just also partially exhausting. But back to talking about the kind of Fediment model and the ARC and lightning channels and, and timeout trees. And I, I'm, that's interesting too. I haven't really kept up with where ARC's actual implementation details are, like, like where it's being built. And Shinobi specifically mentions in this piece that a test version or, or proof of concept version is being built on Liquid, which that's really interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm more curious to actually dig into that now. But one of the things that has kind of blown my mind recently that I feel like there's going to be I I mean the the scope of what can be done with this uh is so broad that I feel like there's probably some incredibly uh incredibly useful solution in the space of bitvm because uh somebody just built or ran a uh a cryptographic proof through the BitVM protocol or through the BitVM system within a transaction, which would essentially enable, as as I understand it, this would essentially enable a genuine two-way peg, where the the software, the system that's being run off-chain, can actually validate or actually can be confirmed and control the ownership on-chain of the actual Bitcoin, which would truly change the game when it comes to the trust relationship or the the ability to do trust-minimized systems like this that can always end up falling back on-chain as the ultimate arbiter, as the ultimate court as to who owns what. While Lightning can operate as a, a semi-trusted, and I say semi-trust, semi-trusted in the sense that it's it's not about the fact that the channels are trusted it's about the fact that you would want you specifically want to because you're locking up bitcoin for a particular period of time with your counterparty with your channel counterparty what it does is actually scale the system of trust through individual like sort of degrees of separation where i'm not going to open channels with just anybody because it's just not beneficial it's not conducive to how lightning network operates in an optimal fashion it's better for me specifically to select nodes that i know have very high uptime and high liquidity and to do a few very well placed lightning channels and then if i wanted to if i wanted to help out with you know friends and family and like i could literally have liquidity that i set aside for them And we could actually have a uh, like I could set up a wallet for them where I like if I wanted them to actually hold their own keys and have one big channel and I could help try to be their liquidity provider because I'm always, you know, buying Bitcoin and sticking it into, you know, my lightning instance or own BTC pay server. But there's something else actually that this article brings up um, in the context of like everything below the fee threshold is quote unquote trusted. Um, and the idea of packetized SATs so that the rather than an HTLC sub the or or below the the fee threshold, you explicitly have a um, a like a assignable balance that could transfer over into the balance like directly with your channel party or your your channel partner. But there's something that I still I'm surprised that fewer people don't talk about this or or and and maybe maybe there's some sort of an attack or some mechanism where because when especially when you're routing payments, this could be some sort of an issue. But I can't think of one right off the top of my head, like with a outlet, like a flood and loot. Like almost all of the attacks are with direct channel partners. Because even where an HTLC is you know locked up from someone a couple of steps down the line your concern isn't whether or not they uh like i mean if they lock it up they can lock that amount up or they could you know try to lock up your entire htlc set like i think it's like still 400 htlcs that you can use at the exact same time or a node will sign and hold at the exact same time so they could try to delay and lock up small amounts of coins in tons and tons of transactions and basically you know, halt your, your lightning node, trap your liquidity, so to speak. But still, when we're talking about whether or not you can enforce your ownership on-chain, you're not really... It's that attacker, if they're like multiple steps away, if they don't have any channels directly with you, they can't do anything within your channels with your channel partners. It's still whether or not the refund or the, the successful path payment goes through is whether or not you trust your channel partner, or whether or not it's an attack between you and your channel partner. Which means that purely in that relationship, which is the trust of the HTLC that's being um, transmitted through, this, being routed through you, yes, anything that's below the fee threshold is in a sense trusted because you can't, you can't enforce it on-chain, but at the exact same time it's not trusted because they can't steal it on-chain. So again, it's only trusted. This is what I, I've talked about this in the Lightning. Did I call it Lightning Is Dead episode? I I don't remember, but it's one very recently. I'll um I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, but one that I talked about in the replacement cycling attack uh episode where we where we covered that issue. I talk about how it's less of a, oh, all of these payments are trusted, and more of a All of these payments exist purely in a mutually assured destruction relationship where neither party can steal any funds below the three fee threshold. Therefore, everyone is incentivized to just have this go through uh, successfully purely because going on chain costs more than having the fee go through. I mean, having the payment go through. So what the attacker can do is cost you an on-chain transaction and cost you time and frustration in changing your channel parties and your, your lightning setup because you would have to close channels and you would want to now punish this channel party by being like, like, why the hell did you do this? You just wasted my time. I want to open up a channel with somebody who I can trust more or I believe is going to be online and is not going to be malicious in our arrangement. And so I'm going to force close our channel and move somewhere else. But if they try to steal that HTLC, they have to publish an on not only publish an, an on-chain transaction, but the way the, the refund uh, uh, works, the refund path works to beat out the successful path is by issuing an on-chain transaction that then allows them to issue another on-chain transaction. They're paying twice to redeem those coins to them. So they're just they're causing everybody a headache and they're paying way more in fees than the HTLC, which is the whole point. We're literally talking about things that are below the fee threshold. So they don't get any, they don't get any gain from this. So I wonder if it even still, if it, if it still makes sense to do the purely kind of like trusted, like with my channel party balance that is everything below the fee. And then once it gets enough high enough to, um, actually affect uh, or actually allow someone to publish an on-chain transaction in order to enforce ownership, then you update the channel balance. I can't decide if that's if that is even necessary when the HTLC itself even for a 10-sat payment seems to kind of do that already. Unless of course it's just about the fact that you can ignore the time lock and you can ignore the HTLC easier or you can ignore the payment easier if it's below the fee threshold, if it's a purely trusted relationship with your counterparty. So I don't know, maybe I just don't have enough like hard details on that relationship, but it still just seems to me that the the whole, oh, it's trusted below the fee threshold issue is just really kind of moot in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an argument that I'm missing here. I'm curious if anybody has any other details, but I, uh, regardless, I really enjoyed this article and, uh, it also just made me laugh. Uh, I think it was uh, Michael, Michael Matliff uh, who uh, uh, linked to this in the Audionauts group. Uh, shout out, man. I immediately read it and I was like, oh, this is fun. We're going to read this one on the show. So thank you to uh, Michael and also to Shinobi for writing this piece in Bitcoin Magazine, obviously for um, uh, having so many great pieces to go through. And I hope you all have a wonderful weekend and I will catch you next week. We have got a few amazing episodes lined up and also a few chats on the way so stay tuned we are going to be digging into a lot of fun stuff so do not forget to subscribe um, uh, share this out with all your friends and again an amazing way that you guys can help out the show is by leaving a review on apple or google podcasts on your favorite podcasting app that really helps to boost the show and it is massively appreciated and a quick shout out to a bunch of you guys on Fountain, um, and also uh, anybody who clips on Fountain, uh, I will I will zap you on Nostr if you post it on Nostr uh, because that's usually the best way that I find the clips. And I al- always love hearing clips that you guys thought were really good because usually it's not the same thing that I thought was good. So I really love getting y'all's perspective on. Uh on on like what like really kind of made sense or hit a point really well because mine is almost never the same. a real quick, a shout out to Vake for twenty five hundred sats uh on fountain uh of with a network of keys reads seven seventy nine. I'm a big fan of guys unhinged rants. I don't even remember what unhinged rant I did about a network of keys, but I am very glad that someone appreciates my un- unhinged rants because a lot of times they go off the rails and I don't even know where I ended up and I get to the end of this thing and I'm like, what the, where did this even come from? So I'm very happy to hear that it is appreciated uh, for at least 2,500 sats worth. I mean, that's that's pretty baller. In my, in my opinion, that's winning. Chris hits me up with 100 sats yay to fountain and keat i agree i am a huge fan of both fountain and keat this is on the durabit episode uh clarkian ten thousand sats on a network of keats hell uh, keys hell yeah boost i that 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 was a comment boost shout out to clarkian uh i am grateful bitcoin kook took a made a clip oh that's the one with that's the quote at the end Yeah, that was a really good quote. I actually only searched for that one that day, but I found that one. I loved that. Um, Fundamentals uh, comes in with a 5,000 sats boost. Hot damn. Quote, this is just a great podcast episode, period, and one I will recommend to people even if they're too stubborn to read the paper. This take is just too loaded with signal and shows what an incredible voice Guy is, and that is the Guy's Take banks, uh, Banks Without Bankers. Hell yeah, I appreciate that, man. Bitcoin kook comes in with 121 sats, uh, an orange heart for great for orange-pilling gamers. And that is Bitcoin is digital scarcity. I love this because it literally teaches gamers economics from, from a perspective that they actually have to use. Like, why? What is the economic principle that leads to something like the Stones of Jordan's? Uh, stones of jordan to become a currency within the game i love that and and that's that's another thing too that there's so many people who have that perspective that or have that experience that can actually kind of begin to see a picture that might be completely boring or seem foreign from you know oh let's talk about macroeconomics and supply and demand so totally agree uh that is why specifically why i rebooted that one thank you bitcoin kook for the sats and uh, and the great point. Uh, D5E5 boosted 1,000 sats. Bull Bitcoin doesn't just encourage self-custody. They require it. Oh, bonus. I didn't even realize that. When you buy Bitcoin from them, you have to give them a Bitcoin or Lightning address to send it to. Oh, hell yeah. That is that's amazing. I did not know that. That is news to me. Thank you, D5E5. Then, Fazen Holdel. Fazen Holdel? Fazen Holdel? Boosted 5,000 sats. Hell yeah. So good on Guys Take 75, a global monetary rebellion. Hell yeah. Thank you, dude. And another one on Guys Take 75 from Mark the BTC guy. 290 sats. Great read, guy. Loved your commentary of the Argentine election. Vake comes back in with 2,000 sats on, again, Guys Take 75 this is the rebel alliance versus the empire and guy swan is our luke skywalker i'm vague. quit get get your tongue you get your tongue out of my ass <laughs> oh god luke skywalker before uh before the last jedi i've probably talked about this on the show but holy god i hated that movie and i was a big star wars fan too i was very excited about it thank you for the 2000 sats dude Rowdy, what is up, Rowdy? Twenty one hundred sets. Use a cold card because you're not a bitch. That is exactly right. I love Guy Swan, even the ads are funny. I, I do my best. I do what I can. And then we got another one actually from both one with uh from Barons Baron Baron S. Love and Light. Oh Baron Love and Light. 333 sats, and then Michael Matliff again with 2,100 sats, and it is both because of the stupid fold jingle that I did in Banks Without Bankers. <laughs> so thank you, guys. A shout-out to all of you. Uh, and it is Clarkian that comes in with the 10,000-sat high boost. Amen, brother. And I will. Uh, I'll actually post... Uh, i'll see if i can find you your link on twitter and i'll post that in the show notes you should follow clarkian because he's a hell of a booster and you can come hang out with us actually on keat in our uh, guys hangout group dm me if you're interested that'll do it thank you all so much and i will catch you on the next episode of bitcoin audible and until then everybody take it easy guys The fact that so many successful politicians are such shameless liars is not only a reflection on them, it is also a reflection on us. When the people want the impossible, only liars can satisfy. Thomas Sowell